$40 a day and all the donuts we can eat on this project. Shakespeare, what the fuck do you know about Shakespeare? Hey everybody, welcome once again to another fantastic edition of Pacino Pod. Today we got a very special episode. It's Al Pacino's directorial debut. So not only do we get to talk about his acting, we get to talk about his directing as well. (laughs) (laughs) I am, of course, Jane, otherwise known as a box of Altoids on Twitter. And my good friend Callie is right alongside me. How are you doing tonight, Callie? I wish I was right alongside you. We are, uh, we are actually quite um, quite a ways away, um, not sitting right beside each other, which we, we have not done that in quite a, quite a while, but hopefully at some point we'll be able to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> how, did you, how did you feel about this movie, Jane? I think I liked it a lot more than you did, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I really liked this movie. I thought it was, at, like... I totally understand, like, any of the criticisms behind it, because I do think it's, like, really unfocused in its, like, scope of what it wants to accomplish. But I do think it's kind of a fascinating movie to watch, although you do have to care about acting and Shakespeare (laughs) (laughs) and theater kids and all that. (laughs) Well, that's what I was texting you. That's so funny. I just wrote my, like, letterbox review of the film, and I said that this makes me remember that I don't like to hang out with theater kids. And, well, but, so the thing is, like, I like, I think, what the movie set out to do, what Pacino thought he wanted to do with this movie, which is to have, like, a conversation about Shakespeare and the relevance to, like, modern theater and media and, like, how we understand Shakespeare today versus, like, it just being this sort of, like, out-of-reach, out-of-touch sort of thing, which is what I always regarded it to be. Like, Pacino's, like, at the beginning of the movie, they seem to be setting out to be, like, doing a movie about why we should care about Shakespeare. So I was like, okay, Pacino, tell me why I should care. And then I he didn't make me care about it <laughs> at all. Well, but, like, I think that's just because... And, I, and somebody else in the film, maybe, like, a co-director or a producer, made the comment, like, you wanted to do a movie about Shakespeare, and now we're just doing a live of Richard III... And I think that's where the movie lost me, is where it just started becoming, like, just the play, you know? So up until that, I really did like it. And I love all, I love Penny Allen getting, like, red in the face, yelling at all the actors in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, it, it, that's, that's probably the biggest critique of this movie, is that it's, like... Yeah, it sets out, and you even start at the film where he's, like, walking down the street just, like, basically harassing people to get their opinions about Shakespeare. (laughs) And, like, like one of my favorite parts is when he's, like, walking alongside this, like, girl and her friend who, like, clearly don't really care. And, like, he's like, oh, so have you seen any Shakespeare? She's like, yeah, I saw Hamlet. He's like, what do you think about it? It sucked. It sucked. He, like, freaks out. It sucked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, that 
part of the movie, like, you know, they, I like that he talked to people from kind of, like, all walks of life, like, he was, like, talking to, like, just random people on the street, and then he talked to, like, Shakespeare, like, scholars, and, like, that, the, one of the, my favorite parts, which I texted to you, which is, he, they're, like, in a crosswalk with this person, and Pacino's, like, how do you feel about Shakespeare, and the person does, like, a away and, like, walks away like they're on a catwalk, and they're, like, super cute, and Pacino just is like, oh, they feel good. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like, I, one, one thing I did like about this film is it does, um, you do see what a likable guy he is. Like, he does seem like yes. a really charming person to be around, and you just want to, like, sit down and talk to him. And, yeah, like, I'd love to sit down and have him tell me about why Richard III is the most important play that's ever been written by mankind, which he seems to be trying to tell us in this movie. <laughs> I actually really like, um, from what I've seen of Richard III, I have never seen the whole play. I've mostly just seen excerpts from it, and that's pretty much, he just gives us the Cliff Notes version of Richard III, like all he did, they like reenact all the big scenes in this so you kind of get the gist of what the plot of the play is which is basically richard the third is this like kind of outcast in his family of like his brother's the king and he's like not like he's never gonna actually be able to have any real power and he's got like he's got a humpback so people don't trust him because he has a physical deformity so he basically like concocts all these like crazy schemes to like take out everybody around him to be able to like get absolute power and then once he has absolute power it like he dies <laughs> like he like it just like he goes out with a whimper um and one of the things that i like took away from this film and i remember originally bringing this up in the scarface episode where i was talking about how like I thought Scarface was very Shakespearean and everyone laughed at me <laughs> for thinking that. No. <laughs> but watching this and seeing a lot of the like clips from Richard III and hearing Al Pacino talk about it, Scarface and Richard III have a lot in common and they're both about like these people who come to like basically start at the bottom or I mean Richard III doesn't really start at the bottom but like at the bottom of where they're like their rank in life and they claw and they fight all the way to the top and once they get there it's like doesn't mean anything and they fall apart so i i don't know i, I liked it in that regard because i thought it, it helped solidify a lot of my uh a lot of my uh theory <laughs> you know i guess i can see where you would make that connection with richard and lady anne the character that winona ryder played because Tony is, like, completely infatuated with Alvira's character, just the same way that Richard seems to, like, be, like, plotting to get Anne, like, and it's, like, almost, like, sinister, like, I don't know. I think but, like, a I little mean, bit more... Even, the, like, even this. the end scene where, like, Tony's getting gunned down and he's, like, you know, like, there's all that death around him. It, it, it is kind of mirrored in the, the end battle where, like, Richard is, like wandering around and all he's trying to do is find a fucking horse to get out of there and, and he dies you know and it's like very like dramatic and i don't know i think i think i can see like i don't know how much input al pacino had into the script of scarface 
but I feel like knowing that Scarface was a passion project of his, basically, like, that he really wanted to do, I feel like he probably, like, was like, hey, we should, you know, a good thing, a good reference point would be Richard III, this is kind of what I want to do in this, blah, 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 and, yeah. like, since he seems to love this play, like, like I said, the movie goes from being, like, a, like, a wide scope about, like, Shakespeare in general to being, like, about, like, why we should care about Richard III, and I don't know if he ever actually does... Uh, get to the point where he uh, like succinctly explains why we should care about Richard the Third, even even through like stage like I don't know I feel like I feel like he started out with the intention of wanting to do like a broad Shakespeare thing, but then as he like got really into the acting part of Richard the Third, it just like it becomes more clear that he really just wanted to make an adaptation of Richard III, but probably didn't have the funding for a full-on production, so <laughs> so this was the compromise. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other actors in this, it's so, like, interesting who he pulled into this, like... That he's... scene where he's, like, walking down the street trying to figure out who should play Lady Anne is kind of creepy. He's like, it's gotta be someone younger. It's gotta be someone younger. Young, he's as young like... as I can get. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of like, come on, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like, you have to know how that sounds. And, yeah, oh my god. Yeah, I had the same feeling. And then, of course, the uh, odd feelings only get worse as you realize that this movie also has Kevin Spacey in it. And he's just, like, loving how evil his character is. He plays Birmingham, or Buckington, or something like that yeah Buckingham he plays Buckingham, Buckingham. <laughs> yeah and he uh, like yeah like there's lots of which is weird because there's really no other like scene like you <laughs> like you know Alec Baldwin is in this but you never see him and Pacino discussing together about like their character like about their characters and you never see Winona Ryder and Al Pacino discussing it but you see lots of the scenes of Kevin Spacey and Al Pacino discussing the relationship between Buckingham and Richard and like Kevin Spacey's just getting all like oh yeah like you know he just Buckingham he just wants you know to get all the you know he wants to be right there beside Richard and he's just kind of like being like oh yes yeah I can't believe I get to play someone as fucking scummy as Buckingham and you're like oh god this guy sucks (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting but then Again, like, we have uh, that scene where Penny Allen, who was in Scarecrow, and then, uh, again, in Dog the Afternoon. And I mentioned that she is somebody that Pacino lived with whenever his parents or his mom kicked him out for dropping out of school. So Penny Allen is kind of like Pacino's, like, older sister, mom-type, like, person. And she's in this, and she's, like, such a fucking firecracker, like... She is just, like, screaming at the guys about, like, their misinterpretation of her character and how she believes the character actually feels. And I thought she was just, like, such an interesting person. Like, I can see why Pacino loves her. And then, like, I saw, like, Richard Cox from Cruising was there. He played the murderer in Cruising. The, the dude who plays the other lawyer in Injustice for All was in there. Like, and these are, like, uncredited. Like, they didn't have, like, major parts in the play. But I just, like, spotted them, you know, in the background. Like, and then I realized, and we never mentioned this in the Cruising episode, 
But the other lead in cruising, his name is Richard Cox. Dick Cox. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we never mentioned that before. Well, I never realized it. Like, it's so funny, like, how many times I said, like, oh, I loved Richard Cox in this before, like, you know, never really taking into account that, like, maybe people call him Dick. But, yeah, no wonder the MPAA saw Cruising, saw that it's starring somebody named Dick Cox, and was like, hey, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But... But yeah, this is kind of like, it was kind of like, this movie's kind of like a rogues gallery of all the like people we've seen before in other films yeah. with him that he just kind of like plucked around. Because yeah, like Alec Baldwin and Kevin Spacey were both in um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Although he, he didn't share any scenes with Alec Baldwin in that movie. <laughs> oh, and he also was in... Um, and two bits with Alec Baldwin too, but Alec Baldwin wasn't, they didn't share any scenes together either. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin was super interesting in this movie. I thought that, like, it, it seemed awkward at first. Like, you, like, when you first see him, you're like, Alec Baldwin doing Shakespeare feels weird. But then when you actually see, like, when you, like, his, like, lone scene where he's, like, in the prison, like, when the, when the, those guys, like, those guys are there to kill him, he actually does, like, I think the best job out of anybody. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought he was, uh, like, he did a really great job in that, I don't know, like, I was very rarely interested in Shakespeare stuff as a teen and, like, in school and stuff, but I think, like, if they had fleshed this out and made it, like, maybe I would have been interested in, like, at least Alec Baldwin's parts. Because I just thought he was, like, so believable, and, like, the way he portrays it is not... It doesn't have, like, so much of the airs. Like, he actually seemed to understand, like, what his lines were saying. I don't I feel like... I under... Like, I did like the part... Like, one of the, the, the only things that I did think was... Was... Helped convey, like, what... People should like you know if, even if you don't understand everything they're saying in Shakespeare, it's really more about the emotion of the actors and that like through the emotions and the actions on stage, you can still kind of figure out what the hell is going on, even if like you don't understand like every word that's coming out of their mouths. Which I thought, yeah, that that makes sense, and like that's why I've always found it harder to just like read Shakespeare silently as opposed to like if I'm watching it or like listening to like someone perform it. That I can use that like I'm usually more engaged, but if I'm just sitting there, like I remember in high school, like just when I tried, you know, when we were reading Hamlet, when people were, when we would like read it out loud in class, it was like a completely different different thing than when I I had to read the chapters by myself at home. Like it was just much more difficult to get through. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think necessarily that like Al Pacino. Um, I don't, I think that he, even he understands how difficult it is to explain, to try to explain Shakespeare using Richard III, which everybody in the film points out is one of Shakespeare's most difficult plays to like <laughs> perform and understand. Cause even when he's like, cause even there, there's a scene where Al Pacino's trying to explain the plot of Richard III and even he's like, yeah, I got even, I'm kind of lost right now while <laughs> he's trying to explain it. <laughs> It's like, uh, you're kind of picking an uphill battle when you start with the play that's already, like, considered the most difficult in, like, Shakespeare's works to do. <laughs> yeah, I 
never even heard of this play, honestly, before. I first heard of it because there's a video essayist, Kyle Collingwood, who's actually been on Bad Romance a few times before, it was, which features a previous guest of the show. Braun is on that show. But he does these videos, uh, video essays, uh, usually about just different kinds of films, but he had a whole running series covering Shakespeare adaptations, and uh, he did one over an interesting film adaptation of Richard III starring um, Ian McKellen, where they, like, all the dialogue's the same, but they set it in Nazi Germany, and Ian McKellen is basically playing Richard III as Hitler, so I... I learned of it through that, and it seemed interesting. So I kind of like I ha- so maybe I was able to enjoy this more having already had a frame of reference of what Richard the Third is supposed to be. So I kind of already understood a little bit of what was going on. I don't know. Maybe if I was in your position, like having not ever heard of it before, and like sitting down and just being like, "What is going on right now?" I probably maybe I wouldn't have <laughs> cared as much. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean. I think that they did a good job of, like, laying it out, but, it, like, to your point and to the other actor's point, like, yeah, this isn't exactly, like, the most, like, famous play or the the easiest to, like, relate to. It's kind of dense and, like, I don't know. The, the Shakespeare play I'm, like, most familiar with is Macbeth. I was Macduff, you know, in our middle school production <laughs> of it. <laughs> uh, there weren't enough... You know, there's never enough female roles to actually play a woman. Yeah. You always have to <laughs> put your... That's still a problem in Hollywood today. <laughs> <laughs> but it sucks because, like, I couldn't, like, go to Hollywood and, like, put my hair up in a cap and be like, I'm a boy. Like, like I feel like in stage productions, <laughs> it's, like, so much easier. Like, people are, like, so much more willing to, like, be like, ha-ha, yeah, like, going with it. Like... Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, that class was really interesting because it was whenever I lived in Hawaii, and so the, like, subject already of, like, dialect and things being hard to translate sometimes was kind of, like, already something we were discussing in, like, English Lit because our, our, our class was, like, super divided between, like, the base kids and, like, the local kids, and, like, the way we talked, like, there's... Like, Hawaiian slang is called pigeon, and it's, like, if you have never heard it, like, you should, like, look up a YouTube video or something. So, that, but it's, like, Hawaii is such a melting pot that, like, there's slang from, like, Samoa, there's, like, words from, like, there's Portuguese words, Japanese words, like, all these different, like, words and slangs, like, mat- mushed together, and, like, if you've never encountered it, it can be, like, completely, like, jarring. And so our teacher had us, like, work together. Like, she, like, made groups that were, like, you know, diverse enough for it to make sense. And then we translated Shakespeare into, like, modern English and then into Pigeon. And then we performed it in Pigeon. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. I love that. See, now that, that to me, like, that's what Al Pacino should do to make Shakespeare (laughs) more accessible. But for real, though, like... Like, I feel like stuff like that, like, I can see that, like, opening up people uh, more to, like, Shakespeare than, like, just seeing Al Pacino stage certain (laughs) scenes from the play with his friends. I don't know. (laughs) It's like he almost got there whenever, and, like, we both noted that he said this, 
that, like, he was talking about how, like, yeah, Shakespeare can be hard to understand, so can rap music if you don't have the ear for it. Like, you, it's just about, like, learning and, like, putting yourself in that mindset and then getting the gist and, like, you'll learn as you go, like, if you're not already familiar. And it's almost like he almost got to that point where he's like, oh, but I could make people, I could put it in a language that people are more familiar with and that would be wildly popular. And then he was like, no, 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 I'll just, uh, shoot it in, like, a real crazy way and make it feel like a weird acid trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There, yeah, there was, like, one of the other things I didn't really, like, you know, they didn't spend too much time on it, but there was, like, a little sense of, like, all the American actors, like, feeling, like, a sense of inferiority, like, an inferiority complex to be, like, oh, well, you know, everyone says that only British actors can do Shakespeare, but guess what? We can do it, too. Like, there was a lot of that, that in the film at the beginning, and I was, like, all right, guys, come on, you know, it's like, it's okay, you don't have to, I understand, yeah, Al Pacino, yes, I believe that you can play Richard III, you don't have to convince me, I don't care if you or a British actor play Richard III, it's fine. <laughs> Maybe he's also feeling uh, bad about that accent that he's putting on every time, uh, which I think, like, I don't know, did Alec Baldwin even do an accent? Like, it felt so no, natural. he didn't yeah. do one at all. Like, he maybe, like, just, like, propered up his voice, like, a little bit, but, like, it was mostly just Alec Baldwin saying Shakespeare lines, and maybe that's why it felt more natural. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why it worked, because I wasn't just getting hung up on, you know, whether or not the, like, both the prose and the accent could work, because it's, like, those are both, like, very heavy things to, like, be putting on a listener, and then if, like, both of them are kind of, like, shoddy, it's, like... You're just gonna lose people. Have you seen Spinal Tap before? Yeah, it's been a while, but I've I've seen it before. Yeah, there is a scene there's a scene in this film that reminded me so much of Spinal Tap. And it was when him and his friend go and visit the house that Shakespeare was born in and they go into the room and they're talking like they spend the whole time like complaining about the size of the bed and they're like, It's not very big, what? How, how could he have been born on this bed? <laughs> like, and then they get kicked out. <laughs> I, I, it reminded me of the scene in Spinal Tap where they, where they all go to visit Elvis's grave. <laughs> and they're all just kind of standing around his grave being like, yep, that's his, that's his grave. <laughs> so I did like that scene just for like an unintentionally comedic moment. <laughs> funny it is like weird to go to like historic uh places and just be like underwhelmed by it like I, w I used to live like really close to Mount Vernon like George Washington's home and like I would go there like so often whenever like family came to visit that I was like big fucking wolf I'm in George Washington's living room who gives a fuck <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the same. Where I grew up, there's the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Museum, which is, like, one of the coolest, like, space museums in the country. And they have, like, so many, like, real artifacts, like... And I think they have the Apollo, one of the Apollo modular lunar modules that actually went to the moon, and they have moon rocks. They have, like, all this cool shit. But we, like, would go there for field trips every year. So it was just not, like, that cool. It's like, oh, I've been to the Cosmosphere. Going to the Cosmosphere again. But it's, like... People, that's like a place that people 
like go out of their way to come and visit in Kansas. <laughs> and like George R. R. Martin, the guy who wrote Game of Thrones, like when he was on his way to a convention in Kansas City, like went out of his way to go to Hutch to go visit the Cosmosphere. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's like a place that it's pretty cool. They have that like real astronauts and stuff come and give talks and like, but like when you're just around it all the time, it just like it just becomes in the back and you're just like, ah, that's, yeah, that's the Space Museum, and whatever. (laughs) I loved that this, like, movie was just like, or, I don't know, documentary, whatever you want to call it. It did feel like it morphed into a movie at the end. But, yeah, I don't know. I did like that you could just tell how much everybody cared about it. Like, sometimes, like, I'll watch something that, like, a comedian or an actor that I like has done, even if I don't really care about it, just because it's almost like if a friend of yours is like, oh, I made this thing I really like, and you're like, okay, like, I don't know, I feel, we're probably already at that point with Al Pacino, just because we've watched everything that he's done, where we're like, okay, buddy, we'll just, like, give in. Like, let's be honest, would either of us have ever watched Looking for Richard if we weren't doing this podcast? Would, in our entire lives, would we have ever thought to sit down and be like, I'm going to watch Looking for Richard today? No, I don't think so. (laughs) We definitely wouldn't have watched the local stigmatic. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Yeah, this is like, uh, this is a cute movie in which Al Pacino goes overboard on a hyperfixation, and all of his friends delightfully indulge him. Basically, like I don't, I mean, <laughs> I could feel the same passion from like Penny Allen and Kevin Spacey, but everybody else, you can kind of tell they're like just, just there to like. Like, okay, Al. Like, because, I mean, these are all, like, well-known actors, and you and I don't think any of them got paid to do this movie. <laughs> like, I really don't think so. I mean, like, maybe, like, like... If they did, meals. it was, like, the lowest possible wage as possible. Because <laughs> it's not like this movie had, like, a big budget. I think most of the budget went on the, at the very end to film the final battle scene. Like, I was like, <laughs> damn, they actually put a lot of time and effort into this <laughs> yeah uh there's no way anybody made money off of this um i think i could tell what movies he was doing by his um hair style and facial hair throughout oh, yeah. this film because it changed all the time i'm pretty sure he was making carlito's way at some point during the making of this film because he definitely had the exact look that he had in carlito's way in this movie at certain yeah. points in time <laughs> i noticed that like super manicured beard like a few times i was like oh that's the carlito's way beard yeah it's like after carlito's way he did two bits, two bits. and heat that's so funny. I don't, he might have been made, I don't know. I, I do know that Scent of a Woman had already come out at this point because he wears a cap, he wears a Scent of a Woman cap in like half of this film. Oh my God, that was so cute. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I forgot to write that down. I love that he is wearing a Scent of a Woman cap like the entire time because you can tell he's just so proud of it. But I, I think like, yeah, I was trying to kind of like remember where we are in his filmography for context because... It's like he he had that big success in 1990 after having, like, 10 years of, like, on and off, and then he took a break, and then, like, you know, like, his movies did okay, and, like, whatever, but maybe after Scent of a Woman and making that money and winning the Oscar, like, 
you can, like, and then he, like, makes these, like, more passion projects. You can tell he's, like, actually having the time to do things that he wants to do with, like, the money that he's gotten from projects that he might not have, like, had as much stake in. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder, like, I definitely think this probably came out, like, he was probably able to, I don't know, he may have just used the, his own money to make this, but if the whatever funding, I'm sure, was secured, um after scent of a woman came out and he had a lot of he had a lot more clout from that than he did <laughs> probably prior <laughs> i mean this movie does have did get pretty good reviews as an 81 percent on rotten tomatoes which is pretty good so i mean people the people who've seen this film seem to like it i don't know i don't really know what else to say about it <laughs> yeah me neither i i read like i tried to do research really all i could find were like reviews about it Oh, there was a really interesting, like, New York Times piece that came out around the release of the movie, and there is a story that Pacino told that just, like, cracked me up about how, like, he was like, you know, sometimes you hear about, like, stage actors, how they'll, like, see a specific, like, pair of eyes out in the audience, and, like, for some reason that's, like, who you perform the entire play to, because you're, like, infatuated with that person, or, you know, like, the the small bits of them that you can see like with the stage lights in your eyes and he was like I'd never had that and then I was performing this one play and I finally like I made eye contact with somebody and I decided like that's who I was like performing the play for and then at the end of the show the lights came up and it was a seeing eye dog <laughs> <laughs> another scene of this film that I didn't want to talk about and that's when he was giving that lecture to the students and there's just these fucking people just make like just like full on making out in the back (laughs) (laughs) on stage talking about Richard III and I just thought I thought that was pretty funny that they kept that in the movie because it was like it did illustrate the point that like and these these people don't fucking care about the movie it does like it is is very (laughs) self-aware yeah yeah the movie is very self-aware that like we know we're kind of taking you down a lane that you wouldn't care about otherwise you know so i mean at least there's that the the aspects of like new york in the 90s that are in this movie are worth watching it too just to see al pacino like interacting with people and like what it was like back then uh, yeah i think the i think the best parts of the movie are definitely the uh, the man on the street stuff that he does with like just interacting with normal people that's those are the best parts of the movie by far <laughs> it made me like miss new york i don't know like so much weird stuff happens on the streets of new york like yeah, you'll just run, you'll run into Al Pacino with a camera shoved into your face asking you about shit Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, whenever I went and did that, that after-school program in the Bronx, we had to do this, like, um, scavenger hunt to learn the subway systems and, like, learn our way around the city, and, like, basically our program guide didn't want us to be afraid to, like, talk to people on the street and be like, yo, like, where do I need to go? And I don't know, stuff like that. So they gave us this, like, scavenger hunt where we, like, had to 
interact with people. Like, it was, like, go, like, take a selfie with somebody whose dog is wearing a sweater. And, like, so there's just, like, all these, like, groups of, like, 20-year-olds, like, running around New York, like, in the village, like, looking for dogs and sweaters. And it was funny because, like, the lady I found, her and her wife were, like, oh, yeah, we met your friends. Like, their dog had already been in somebody else's picture. <laughs> so it's just, like, I don't know, it kind of made me think about how, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, like, people think of New York as, like, kind of an unfriendly place, but you can just fucking ask people questions on the street and, like, have this these fun little interactions with them <laughs> and then never, ever speak again. It's yep. great. Uh, someday I'll live in New York. <laughs> Hopefully when there's not a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, someday it'll be safe again and not, like, I don't know. The idea of New York right now is, like, a nightmare. Yeah, I don't know. This might be a short episode. I can't really think about anything else. I mean, that's fine. You know, and not every episode needs to be an hour and a half epic on a revolution and the Revolutionary War and all of that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't, like, have to have a hot take about every movie and be like, I mean, actually, this is about how America is built on slavery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, it's the same, like, I, I, I knew we would hit this point where, like, we're just gonna run into movies sometimes where we just don't have that much to say, and that's okay. It's like, I mean, we said, like, I felt that way when we talked about two bits. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're just, it's gonna happen. <laughs> But uh, next okay. week, oh, next week we got uh, City Hall, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which you, I think you watched already <clears throat> with your mom. <laughs> yeah, and I was telling you I needed to rewatch it because I watched it with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that because um, I still haven't seen it yet. So. <laughs> and my mom asks thirty questions. Every, oh my gosh, that's like how my minutes. dad is with movies too. My dad is so hard to watch movies with because we'll sit down, we'll you watch it for 15 minutes, he'll pause it and then be like, so what is going on right now? And then expects you to explain to him everything that's going on in the movie right now. And uh, it's just like, oh God, come on, man. <laughs> I love you, but come on, please just watch, just pay attention. I know. It's so frustrating. It's we're like, just watching The Incredible Hulk. It's not like we're watching fucking Citizen Kane right now. Well, yeah, sometimes it's just foreshadowing. Like, sometimes none of us know and you just have to wait. Like, that's so funny. I hope I never get to that point. But I guess we'll we'll see. I know that when I was a kid, I would just, like, talk and talk and talk through movies. And people hated me. <laughs> been a very like silent movie watcher unless it's like unless i know it's bad then i don't mind riffing on it like with other people but if i'm like like okay i'm gonna sit down and watch godfather part two i want to actually try to pay attention to what's going on <laughs> i can't be distracted right now this movie's like three hours long <laughs> my dad pauses a lot too but it's not to like ask questions it's to tell additional stories because the story that we're consuming on the screen is not enough he needs to provide context <laughs> he'll 
I'll be like, well, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing right now. You know, we're just waiting until after, <laughs> until after, or sometimes, uh, if you haven't seen the movie at all, we are providing it for you. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's so funny. I mean, the only, I like, it does get kind of annoying. But during the Godfather trilogy, I did genuinely appreciate it because he would be like. like Instead of pausing to be like, what's going on right now? He'd pause and be like, do you know what's going on right now? <laughs> Which I, I need that, you know, honestly. But anyways, yeah, City Hall is next. And it is a John Cusack, Al Pacino flick where Al Pacino plays a Ed Koch-style New York mayor. And he... I, I don't even really tweet about nonsense and bullshit and <laughs> sometimes both at the same time um you can also if you really only care about al pacino you can just follow pacino pod at pacino underscore pod <laughs> which really, we recommend all. that <laughs> um and you can uh feel free to give us five stars leave us some reviews so we can get discovered and become a well-beloved podcast known the world over that's that's the goal (laughs) (laughs) aren't we we are a global podcast what are we are i checked um spotify's year-end status and i think it said we had been um listened to in nine different countries at this point according to spotify i think it's more on soundcloud so yeah we are a global podcast we get listened to all over the world so. Only 292 countries to go. <laughs> go. North Korea, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we're gonna become like Dennis Rodman. Like, we're gonna just like awkwardly like be really good friends like with Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Yeah, Kim Jong-un is a huge Pacino podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll have him on to discuss um, Jiggly, or... uh, Righteous Kill. Righteous Kill. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it locked. 